Jesus, we, we, take, we take the place of receivers today. And we want to receive from you. I pray that you would just pause everything that's moving around us. In our minds, in our world, you know, even in this room. And you would give us the ability to focus and hear. And then more than hear, I pray that we would do whatever it is that you're saying to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. As I mentioned, we've been making our way through 2 Timothy. And the paragraphs before verse 10, the Apostle Paul is outlining for Timothy, these are spiritual leaders that you should not trust. And he names some of their characteristics. They're going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. Avoid these people. So there's a group of teachers and leaders that Paul wants Timothy to avoid. You can't trust these people because you remember Paul is writing this from prison and there are people in Timothy's life who are saying to him I don't think you can trust the apostle Paul I mean Timothy had been a friend and a a ministry partner with Paul but they're saying I don't know that you can trust him because if God had truly blessed his message why would God put him in prison why would God sideline him like that I mean you think if you're blessed by God That's going to be obvious to everyone. And so as you read 2 Timothy, you can feel Timothy in this tug of war between what he knows about Paul and and all he's benefited. I mean, Timothy looked at Paul as a father. And by the end of this letter, we're going to see that beautiful father-son relationship between Paul and Timothy. But in these early chapters, you can tell that Paul has a real agenda. Timothy, trust me. You can't trust these other spiritual leaders, but you can trust me. And that's what verses 10 through 14 are all about. And Paul lists his resume. If these are the things that we see in these bad and untrustworthy leaders, here's what you've seen in me. Verse 10. But you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. We've seen these other things in other people. But Timothy, you've followed. You've, you've had a front row seat to first my teaching. This is in comparison to the bad teaching of the leaders he was talking about last week. The teaching that he's mentioning is the life, death, resurrection, and promised return of Jesus, and then the now what? Because Jesus was alive, was crucified, was resurrected, ascended into heaven, and has promised to return. This is now how we should live. Paul says to Timothy, you have heard me preach that message over and over and over and over and over and over again. 
Timothy was, as I mentioned, someone who traveled with the Apostle Paul. He rarely went anywhere alone, and a lot of times Timothy was with him. In fact, many of the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament are from Paul and Timothy. That's how closely they work together. Now Paul is at the end of his life, is not in fact going to get out of the prison cell that he's in alive. He's going to be executed Paul says, Timothy, you have heard me preach this message over and over and over and over again. Remember my teaching. The clearer we understand the life, death, resurrection and return of Jesus, the more dedicated we will find ourselves being to Jesus. Wherever we are cloudy and hazy on the teachings of Jesus and the now what of the New Testament, we will find our faith waning. So if right now you took inventory of your passion for Jesus and that flame is not as bright as it once was or as you would like it to be, I'm guessing at some point your view of Jesus has become obstructed or a little hazy. That there was a time in your life where the the vision of Jesus that you had in your mind and heart and your soul was a little bit crisper. It was a little bit clearer. It was a little bit sharper. But maybe distractions have come in. Maybe work has something going on for you. Maybe there's a relationship that's entered your life. Maybe there's some suffering that has come. And your image of Jesus is not as sharp. Your understanding of his teachings are are not as clear. And inevitably, that will dim our passion for him. We have to be committed to the teaching of the gospel because it is the fuel of our passion. We, we want to be dedicated students of the gospel. If an early 90s pop song comes on, I can recognize it instantly. Not just because that was the formative years of my life, but because there was a summer in between my freshman year of high school and my sophomore year of high school where I was too young to have a job, too old to go outside and ride my bicycle. So I would wake up in the morning and I would turn MTV on and I would watch it all day until my parents got home from work. So the songs that were on at that time are embedded into my soul. Uh, I'm embarrassed about that, but uh, it is a good party trick. I I can... I can do that trivia. I wouldn't have told you that I was in summer school that year, but really I was. I was just at the summer school of MTV in my living room. Because the truth is, is that you are, and I am, always a student of something. You may not be enrolled in a class. You may not be enrolled in a grad program. You may not be at a university right now. But you are a student of someone or something. A lot of us are students of the lives of our friends via social media. That's what we spend our, uh, our spend our time doing, taking in, learning. Uh, some of us are students of uh, things that have to do with work. Uh, some of us are students of the things that are happening out in the world. Some of us are students of uh, cable news. It's just what we spend ourselves, uh, spend our time coming underneath. And we may not think it's not. It doesn't have to be a bad thing. It doesn't have to be something that has a moral value attached to it. But nonetheless, you are a student of it. And, and, and we want to take inventory today. If, if, there is, if we are studying at the feet of a teacher that is not as important as Jesus, maybe we should re-enroll in his school. 
I want to encourage you today to withdraw from whatever it is that you're studying and enroll in the school of the gospel of Jesus. Give your mind to it. Give your faith to it. Supernatural power of the teaching of God's word. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you've seen my teaching up close and personal. You can trust me. But then he goes on. He says, you followed my conduct. Most terrified I think I've ever been in my life is when Amanda and I received a letter from the IRS. And it was at the wrong time of the year. You know, there's a certain time of the year where they send you a check. Well, now they don't even send you a check. They can just send it straight to your bank. But we received a letter at the wrong time of the year. And I didn't think that I had anything to hide from them. But I'm kind of stupid. And so maybe I accidentally did something wrong. And, and, and opening up that letter, you know, what you're worried about is, is we're going to be audited. It turns out someone was using Amanda's social security number. Uh, for their work, and it, not, it didn't end up being a big deal. I mean, it was a six-year ordeal because, you know, government. But, <laughs> but it, it, we weren't in trouble. But the thought of being audited by them is just, it's just overwhelming because, you know, who is saving receipts like that? Uh, who uh, is keeping track? And, and you know that there were going to be things in, in the expenditures that would raise an eyebrow, just even if we didn't know what we were doing. Right? No one wants to be audited. If... One of your coworkers, or your roommate, or your spouse, read the Bible from beginning to end this weekend, and then audited your life, what about you would raise their eyebrow? If they just read the Gospels, understanding Jesus, things that He said, the things that He did, things that He promised, said about Himself, said about you, and then they audited your, audited your life, what would raise their eyebrows? What would they say? Well, that doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense. One of the worst things about the church in America, I guess I'll say, is that there is a total misalignment between our convictions and our conduct. We have convictions. We have things that we say, this is what we believe. And we'll even take those beliefs public. We'll put them on the internet. We'll put them on bumper stickers. We'll put them on t-shirt. These are our convictions according to the scripture. But then people start watching our lives and they think, well, there's not unity between the things that you say you believe and, and your conduct. The things that you're actually doing. But Paul tells Timothy, examine me. Audit me. In fact, you have audited me. You've, you've followed these things closely. Not just my teaching, not just my preaching, but my conduct, my very life. Paul tra- and Timothy traveled together. Timothy saw Paul at his best. Timothy saw Paul at his worst. And Paul said, you know for yourself. You can trust me. My teaching, conduct, purpose. Paul had a clear sense of Of what God wanted from him in this world. His purpose was to be an ambassador of Jesus to the Gentile people. Remember, Jesus was Jewish. That was his ethnicity. The first Christians, they were also Jewish. But God had entrusted the Apostle Paul with taking the life, death, resurrection, and ascension and return of Jesus to the Gentile people, the non-Jewish world. And Paul knew that. From the very beginning of his Christian faith, this is what God has asked me to do. What's interesting is that was Paul's purpose. But Peter, one of the leading disciples of Jesus and and a pillar of the New Testament church, he was an ambassador of the gospel to the Jewish people. 
That was what God wanted from him. Same idea, same gospel, but a specific assignment. And then you have James, one of the other pillars of the very first church. He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which was like a mother church to all these frontier churches that we read about in Acts. Same gospel, same message, uh, but yet a, a specific responsibility in it. If you asked any of the three what it is that God wanted from them, they would be able to articulate that. Could you do the same? If someone says, what is your assignment in this season of life? Where is God aiming you based on the gifts that he's given you, the opportunities he's given you, the environments that he's placed in, you in? What are, what are the things that he's asking you to do? Because if you can't articulate that, Someone will articulate it for you. If you can't say out loud, this is what God, the creator of the world, who is saving the world through his son, Jesus Christ, has asked me to do, asked me to look out for, asked me to give myself to in this season of my life. Someone else will tell you what that is. Your job will tell you what your purpose is. Your friends will tell you what your purpose is. Your significant other may do that. The culture will do that. That is a vacuum looking to be filled with power. And it will either be filled with the power of God or the influence of someone or something else. But Paul tells Timothy, you know what my purpose is. When I woke up in the morning, it's what I talked about. When I went to bed in the evening, it's what I was thinking about. And all the time... In between, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith. Faith is the trust that fills the gap between what God has said and the facts that are in front of us. Faith is the trust that fills the gap between what God has said and the facts in front of us. So we see this in the Old Testament. God tells Abraham, I want you to leave your city. I want you to leave your family and you come and follow me. I'm not telling you where we're going. I'm not outlining it on a Google map for you somewhere. I just want you to follow me. And here's the promise. If you do that, I will make you the father of a great nation. Right now you're just Abraham, dude. But if you obey me, I will make you the very beginning of a nation that is very important in the world. And so Abraham had to fill that gap with something. He could have filled it with skepticism and said, I'm not really going to do anything about it. He could have filled it with fear and say, well, I might, but I'm going to need a little bit more proof before I follow follow through. But he didn't. He filled that gap with faith. He said, I'm going to trust God that if I if I take this leap, God will come through on his word. The scripture says that you and I are saved by faith. God has said we receive eternal life through Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. That's what God has said. And yet there are some facts that we seem to be missing. We weren't there to see Jesus crucified and resurrected from the dead. We have to take someone's word for it. We weren't there when he predicted that he was going to be killed. We weren't there when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in me would not perish, but would have everlasting life. We weren't there. So we have to fill the gap with something. And if you fill it with trust, even though I can't see God and I can't see Jesus, I believe that he is God's 
plan for my salvation, then, then we're saved. Paul tells Timothy, you saw my faith. You, you saw that when we were in difficult spots, I, I trusted God anyway. And all of us want to be people of unstoppable faith. I think we want to go to a church that's filled with unstoppable faith. What is also true about us is we want to have a lot of comfort. And those two things rarely go together. One will win in your life. Comfort, which often is status quo, or faith. Faith requires risk. Comfort says no risk. But Paul's risked. He, he left where he was and was an ambassador of the gospel and took leaps of faith and trusted God. And Timothy saw that firsthand. My teaching, my conduct, my purpose, my faith, my patience. Remember in chapter 2 he talked about the hardworking farmer. The same idea... Uh, the gospel goes into the ground, the soil, and it doesn't immediately sprout up. It takes time. God, God is never in a hurry. God seems to always be moving slower than we are. And to have faith means I'm going to need patience. And Paul says to Timothy, you saw that I had that patience. You, you saw that we would go to a city and we would tell them the truth about Jesus. And sometimes they would receive it and sometimes they wouldn't. But we always followed back through, uh, write them letters. We would go back through that town. Just always waiting for the harvest to come, believing that it would. Patience, love. I don't think we associate love with the Apostle Paul because we just take his words in bits and pieces, verses and a chapter here or there. But if you read Paul's letters from beginning to end, uh, you can see the affection that he has for the people that he's writing. Even here in 2 Timothy, by the end of this letter, you're going to see that he genuinely loved Timothy. He cared for Timothy. Love and endurance. Go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14 if you still have your finger there. Because he is going to mention a specific way that he endured. Verse 11, along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Acts chapter 13 and 14 tell those stories of those three places. Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch, and it says in verse 42, As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about these matters the following Sabbath. After the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. The following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. So this is really going well. Paul and Barnabas are telling them about Jesus. People want to hear more about it. Verse 45. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied. And then there's a reply. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the prominent God-fearing women and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. So Paul and Barnabas are being effective in Antioch. 
But then some people get stirred up. They're offended at the message of Jesus. And so they start talking against Paul. They start arguing with him. And they created a, created a riot, essentially, where there are sides. People for Paul and Barnabas, people against. And the people against pushed Paul and Barnabas out. And so they just said, hey, we're shaking the dust of our feet. We're going to go to the next town. They get to Iconium in chapter 14, verse 1. And they entered a Jewish synagogue, as was their usual practice, and spoke in a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. So again, really going well. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of His grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. So the same thing happens. You have half the people who are supporting the apostle Paul. You have a half the people who are working against him. Verse 5. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. And there they continued preaching the gospel. So the same thing happens. Now they hear not just grumblings, not just arguing against them like happened in Antioch. Now the people of Iconium are hatching a plan to stone and kill Paul and Barnabas. And so they escape. They leave and they go to Lystra. And in Lystra, it starts out really great again. In fact, they heal someone and the crowd believes that they are the living manifestations of Greek gods. And they straighten them out. But the people begin to believe in Jesus after hearing the gospel. And in verse 19, though, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. The next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. So reset. They go to Antioch. Goes well at first. But people start arguing, um, insulting Paul. And so they leave Iconium to go, or Antioch to go to Iconium. They get there. It's going really well. But they have opposition. That opposition hatches a scheme to stone and kill Paul and Barnabas. So they go on to Lystra. They get to Lystra. Also goes well there. But eventually people from those first two cities, Iconium and Antioch, come to Lystra and they stir up persecution, and they actually do stone the Apostle Paul, which means they, they picked up rocks, some just hand-sized rock at, rocks at first, which they would throw at the victim until the victim fell down. Once they fell down, they would get the bigger stones, and they would just throw them on the person until that person died. They did this to the Apostle Paul, and then in an act of insult, they dragged him outside of their city and just left him there to rot. The brothers and sisters who had believed in Jesus come around the Apostle Paul. And, and we don't know how it happened. We don't know if Paul wasn't dead. He was just mostly dead. We don't know if he had been knocked out and came to. We don't know if he was actually dead and they prayed for him and God raised him back uh, to life. Whatever it was, Paul got up and went back into Lystra and then eventually moved on. So here's what I want to ask you. It's what I've been asking myself all weekend. Uh, which of those three types of persecution would I have quit? Because I probably would have quit. About the time they picked up a giant stone to drop on my head, I'll be like, well, 
Well, I mean, I, I, listen, my parents told me about this. I don't know. Maybe for some of us, it would just be at the threat of that. When we found out somebody was scheming against us. Maybe for some of us, it was uh, that somebody insulted us because we believed in Jesus. At which one would you have quit? Paul reminds Timothy, I I didn't quit. I endured that. And then he transitions to say, you know, Timothy, that th- this isn't just something that happens to me, Paul. This actually happens to, to everybody. Verse 12, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Remember, Paul's in prison. And what he's saying to Timothy here is, don't just think that this imprisonment is for me. It's my turn now but it might be your turn later. And even bigger than Timothy, this word still is true for us. All who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we should want to live a godly life. Because following Jesus isn't just about Jesus gets me to heaven and if I believe in Him, I'm good. Following Jesus is a recognition. Jesus is God's son. And in his life, death, and resurrection, I receive salvation and eternal life. And now I will follow him as a disciple. I will walk the way he walked. The things that were important to him now are important to me. The way he treated people is the way that I'm going to treat people. The things that he valued, I value. The things that he rejected, now I reject. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to live a godly life. It's a passion. It's a pursuit. This is what I'm trying to do with my life. This is what I'm trying to do at work. This is what I'm trying to do at home. Trying to follow in the steps of Jesus. Or... It can just be something that you also do. This is what I do for a living. This is a story of my family. Also, I'm a Christian. These are my hobbies. Uh, This is my background. Also, uh, I'm a Christian. And if that's what your faith is, it's just an also. You don't need to worry about being persecuted. You will have given up a long time before you ever suffer. Listen, there's no condemnation. I'm not ready to suffer. You're not ready to suffer. You know, I mean, if you're a guest today, I'm so sorry that you came here. You know, like I was a friend invited me and here you are telling me that I'm going to be persecuted. I'm not saying it. I mean, that's what's in there. We're just reading it. You know, what's interesting is the disciples of Jesus weren't ready to be persecuted either. In fact, they were just as foolish and distracted and immature as we are. Uh, I mean, just read the Gospels. They are a mess, totally. But something shifted for them. Uh, they did end up being persecuted. You know? And when we say that word persecution, you know, there's, it's just this 
Now, some of us are like, I, I would never do that. And some of us might have like Rambo in us, especially some of us men like, I don't know, you know, I get to fight for Jesus. Is that what this is? This is all about. In fact, when uh, I was doing student ministry early on in my life, I took a team of teenagers to Honduras for a week in the summer. And when we were down there, you know, Central America and it's hot just like it is in Houston. But we had a, a, a young guy on our team who wore a jacket the whole time. And, you know, it was kind of odd, but he was sort of an odd dude. And, you know, hey, you be you, you know, God made you and maybe God made you like that. I don't know. Uh, so wear a jacket here in Central America in the middle of the summer. But at the end of the trip, I asked him, you know, hey, uh, tell me about the jacket. I just got to know what your deal is. Like, I feel weird. You being near me with that jacket on. What, uh, what's your what's your story? And he's like, well, I wore it because, you know, we've been out preaching the gospel and we might be persecuted. So I've been carrying a machete all week long. So I left him there in Honduras. I left him. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We did get rid of the machete, though. You know. But he, he, he had read a passage like this and was convinced, you know, that's, that must be what God wants me to do, to, to fight action movie for Jesus, you know. And, but that's, that's clearly wrong. Uh, just as it's clearly wrong to say I would never do that. And the great thing is you don't have to make a commitment now. The, the disciples, as I said, they weren't ready either. But something happened for them because history tells us that all of them, 11 of the 12, so minus Judas, gave their lives for Jesus. And for them, they were convinced that Jesus was alive, crucified, and alive. And no one could talk them out of that. They saw with their own eyes Jesus be arrested. They took the recommendation of the faithful women that were at the cross when Jesus was crucified that he had died. And then they saw the empty tomb themselves. And then Jesus walked into their upper room and the Roman Empire could not tell them that they were wrong. No Jewish magistrate could take away what they were convinced of. You you and I, we don't have to look inside the well of our own soul and ask, is there enough faith there to endure persecution? I'm going to tell you right now, there's not. There's not in me and there's not in you. We just need to ask, do I believe that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified and resurrected? I'm not standing up for some denominational faith that I received from my parents. I'm not advocating for a, a religion. It's when it comes time to suffer, do I believe that there is an empty grave outside of Jerusalem? And I do. And you do too. And we're just going to keep saying, I believe, I believe, I believe until we see Jesus again. That's how he finishes this section. Verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. 
Paul says, hold on, Timothy. Hold on to what you have learned from me. Not just in my teaching, but by observing my life and my purpose, my conduct, my endurance, my love, my patience. Hold on to what you've learned. And Timothy, more than that, hold on to what you have believed in. It's a summary, really, of what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's what he's telling Timothy. Timothy, you can trust me. You trust me. And if you'll just do what I'm doing, you can know that I'm doing what Jesus is doing. So I want to ask you today, who are you following that's imitating Jesus? And maybe more importantly, who is following you as you follow Jesus? Next week we'll start back with verse 14 and Paul goes on to talk about the supernatural power of God's word. Let's pray together.